The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride with an early Happy New Year to everyone. Merry New Year. Ho, ho, Merry New Year. Thank you for listening today, and thank you for going to iTunes and subscribing to Talk is Jericho. And thanks for leaving five-star ratings and comments. Uh, if you haven't done that yet, please do. What are you waiting for, man? It helps out Talk is Jericho in a big, big way. Makes the show bigger. We get bigger guests. We get bigger downloads. We get bigger viewership. We get bigger listenership. We get bigger uh, bigger balls. We get all that stuff. So go to iTunes. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us five stars. Cinco Estrellas and some comments. We love both. And uh, we also love both of the Sklar brothers. You see what I did there? Randy and Jason, identical twins, comedians, podcast hosts. Their show, Sklar Bro Country, on Earwolf is hilarious. I did that show. That's where I met the Sklar brothers. And now uh, they're returning the favor. You've seen them all over the media. They were on ESPN for a few years with the show. they got lots of great stuff. We're going to uh, cover all that with them. Hear about doing stand-up in Los Angeles, trying to break into the scene, being twins in show business, and how much, uh, well, you hear the story of uh, the Sklar brothers versus Andrew dice clay it's a great great show uh here as we get closer to 2016 but as we get closer to 2016 we lost uh one of the greats a good friend of mine and a good friend of talk is jericho uh talking about lemmy from motorhead and um what what a great guy he passed away very quickly he had some really bad health issues over the last few years and then basically from what i heard and this is you know i don't know if this is the true set in stone story but basically was told he had a terminal disease and uh only had a few weeks to live a month or whatever it was and basically died like 10 minutes later which is incredible when you think about it and it's also super um it's kind of cool it's very lemmy because he was like, I'm just envisioning him saying, okay, so this disease is going to wreak havoc on my body and slowly eat me away. I'm not going to give it the pleasure. I'm going to take myself out and willed himself to die. Like, what a way for a warrior to go out. And Lemmy was a warrior, the, the original rock and roll warrior, pioneer uh, for the last 50 years of being in the, in the music business. And uh, just a, a, such a great, cool guy. And he was on Talk as Jericho, like I mentioned, episode 108. If you want to go back, 
back and listen to it, you'll see that not only was he charming, smart, funny, great sense of humor, very dry, very sarcastic. And it was a really cool day, um, uh, thanks to uh, Motorhead manager Todd Singerman for helping me put that together. I went to Lemmy's house, apartment down in, in Hollywood. And he showed me all of these like World War II artifacts that he had all hanging on the wall. And he would go into long, detailed discussions and dissertations, uh, giving me information about every single piece. And he had all this ridiculously crazy stuff like, you know, medals from dead soldiers and flags and uh, Hitler's lighter, uh, Eva Braun's cookware, like her fork and knife. Like who even has that stuff? And he was give, he was telling me all the information about that. It was like a curator of a museum. He was so well um, uh, informed about all this stuff. And I realized that like he was almost like your grandfather when you go to your grandfather's house and he just wants you to stay. So he keeps telling you these stories. And that's kind of what I felt like that day. Like he was maybe a little bit lonely. You know, and uh, and he was uh, he, he, afterwards. He's like, you know, it's really cool to to have you here. You can come back anytime because it's great having a conversation with someone who could throw something back in the mix. Because I was giving him some Beatles info. I don't think he knew and some Stones info. And uh, we talked about Faulty Towers, which is a, a great English show. If you haven't seen it, starring John Cleese, that he was a big fan of. I've been a big fan since I was like ten years old. So we kind of went back and forth on that, and we just had a really cool conversation. And I've known Lemmy for years. Uh, I met him first at probably 1995 with Robbie, Robbie Brookside, who is now an NXT trainer. And we met uh, Lemmy at the Osaka Hard Rock Cafe in Japan. And I went over and talked to him, and he was super friendly, super nice. And throughout the years, saw him, you know, when he started working with the WWE. And then, you know, the podcast really opened the door as far as us becoming, you know, closer friends. But, you know, there was the time that we went to the radio station in Phoenix, and Lemmy made me the Jack and Coke with, uh, you know, his hands were all dirty and stuck his hand in the ice bucket and threw it in the glass. And, you know, I mean, I've told that story before, so I apologize if you've heard it. But he was like, I was like, you know, hopefully the, the straight Jack Daniels will kill the germs on Lemmy's filthy hands. <laughs> but then we did the podcast and then opened the door. And then, you know, this last month has been kind of like Lemmy month because I, I hosted the Classic Rock Awards in London and Lemmy was there. He was uh, handing out an award to Jimmy Page, which was accepted by Jimmy Page's sister. Sorry, not Jimmy Page, Jimmy Hendrix. I apologize. Handing an award for Jimmy uh, Hendrix. Uh, and Henderson's sister was was uh, picking it up, and, and he, he had to introduce uh, the award and then introduce a highlight video about Jimi Hendrix. And they told me, if Lemmy forgets, make sure you interrupt him. And, of course, he forgot. So uh, not interrupt him, make sure you remind him. So, of course, he forgot, and I reminded him. He was like, oh, yeah, I forgot, whatever. And when he came on stage, uh, I gave him a hug, and I said, you know, uh, we're all – I'm sorry, Lem, we're all out of Waldorfs. And he started laughing, total Faulty Towers uh, episode. So, um, but he was looking good. I mean, he was looking frail when I went to his house last year, but he was looking, he was looking, you know, kind of like the same, very slow moving, but talking a lot. And then when I saw him at his 70th birthday party, um, at the whiskey, you could really see like he had that stare. Like when you go see somebody in the hospital and they're dying, you could tell that there was something really wrong with them. And he was sitting in a chair the whole time watching the show and it was funny, like even they had this big, beautiful tribute video that they, all the rockers were saying, you know, happy birthday, Lemmy, and happy birthday. And he was just sitting uh, in the chair reading a book, which was funny. I was talking with Lars Ulrich, and we were pointing, like, is he reading a book? And uh, then I decided uh, I wanted to go over and say hi to him because I could just tell, like, I really, I knew I had to go to that party. Like, I just felt like if you want to see Lemmy again one last time, you got to go to this, this, this party. And uh, I'm glad I did because as soon as I saw him, I'm like, yeah, he's... 
he's got some issues. I don't know what it is. Like I said, he's had some bad health over the last few years, but you could see something was really different and changed in him. And so I asked, there was a, a crowd of people around him. I went and asked his girlfriend if uh, I could go say hi. And they, you know, obviously took me over to him and I just said, you know, happy birthday. And then, you know, glad to see you, man. And he just kind of looked at me and, you know, nodded and, and he brought me closer to him so he could hear what I was saying. And then he gave me a, a pinky swear handshake, you know, like teenage girls, like, you know, my pinky swear. <laughs> See, I'm not really too sure why, but it was uh, it was pretty cool. So he gave me the pinky swear uh, handshake, and then I uh, came in close to him and I said, uh, "Whatever you do, do not mention the war." And he kind of looked at me and like, "What?" And I said, "Whatever you do, don't mention the war." It's a total John Cleese from Faulty Towers, and he kind of smiled. And that was the last uh, the last words I ever said to Lem, and the last time I ever saw him. So uh, you remember that, and and and. Um, you know, talk about that that seventieth birthday party. How many people were there? It's because Lemmy was super friendly, and super great to everybody. If you go on Instagram, you can see all these photos from every band, every musician. Because Lemmy was friendly to everybody. He wasn't a dick. He wasn't uh, ever like you know aloof or egotistical. Just a, just a guy, like a just a great great guy. And another th- thing I remembered about about. Um, you know, seeing all these photos on Instagram as, as I worked with them a lot too at the Golden Gods when I hosted the Golden Gods Awards at the Nokia Theater in LA. Like Lemmy was always there for those, and uh, my friend Josh Bernstein and I, who, who used to do those shows together, he sent me all these great pictures of you know me and Lemmy and Mustaine and Vinnie Paul and Zach Wild all hanging out at the Rainbow doing all these skits for the for the Golden Gods. And there's this other one where I'm not sure exactly why, but Lemmy's behind me and he's got his arms around my neck from behind like a prom date. And so I uh, I posted that picture. And was like, you know, here's my prom date, <laughs> and uh, it's just cool. Like you forget all that stuff, and when someone passes away, you get all these memories that flood back in of every experience that you had with them, you know. And um, I remember Fozzie played a show. We we supported Motorhead at the Wiltern Theater in Los Angeles, and after the show, Lemmy's like, oh, you looked like you had a good time running around, jumping up and down everywhere, and. You know, I was like, you, you watched our set? He's like, of course I did. And I was like, why would Lemmy watch our set? But he did. And, you know, he made a, a point to come over and tell us that he watched it. He didn't say if he liked it or not. He just said that he watched it and saw us jumping around all over the place. But, um, you know, lots of, lots of good, good, good smiles and, and good feelings. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad day because not only is Lemmy gone, Motorhead is gone too. And, and Motorhead is just, you know, if there was no Motorhead, there'd be no Metallica. No Avenged Sevenfold and no Anthrax, you know, no Megadeth. Like Motorhead was, was the um, cornerstone for all those heavy types of music, and even for anybody in rock and roll. Ed Sheeran owes something to Motorhead, and and One Direction owes something to to Lemmy. And they've been around for so long. Like Motorhead, I always say is like pizza or sex. Even when it's bad, it's good. Like there's no such thing as bad Motorhead. It's it's genetically impossible, and uh, it's the same with Lemmy. You know. Um, like I said, just a consummate great guy. And I even said on Instagram, uh, you know, thanks for everything, man. Uh, you were the real deal on stage and off and a true gentleman. And that's the truth, a true gentleman. He, actually, Lemmy only got mad at me one time. Uh, I went to uh, the Rainbow. I'd actually just watched the documentary called Lemmy, which if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's really, really cool. And it showed Lemmy just playing the, one of those video um, poker games at the Rainbow. He used to hang out in the back of the Rainbow and play this game over and over and over and over again. And uh, I was like, I wonder if I go to the Rainbow now if Lemmy will be there. So I was flying to L.A. I watched the Lemmy documentary. And then I went to the Rainbow. And lo and behold, sitting in the back of the room, there he was. So I went over and said hi to him. Hey, hey Lemmy, it's, it's, it's Jericho. And he's like, hey. And he got mad at me because I interrupted his game. <laughs> he was like, you know, I'm playing this game right now. And I was like, oh, I just want to say hi. Well, hi then. 
he must have been losing. He was in a bad mood because uh, I interrupted his video poker game. They should they should make that like a monument at the rainbow, like Lemmy's Corner or something like that, because he was always there and that was his thing. So um, great guy. And uh, once again, he beat death on his own terms. He went out his own way, the same way that he always lived his life. And I appreciate that. And I respect him for being a good guy and a friend to me. And, uh, and once again, a great, great, great conversation with Lemmy on Talk is Jericho, episode 108. If you want to go back and listen to that, um, you know, it's a good indication of the type of guy that, that Lemmy was. And uh, I'm going to miss him, as will the entire rock community. Uh, so, Lemmy, you know, we love you, man. And uh, we're going to miss you. But, um, you know, the show must go on. And the show is going on as we, we take Talk as Jericho into 2016 with a, a couple guys that Lemmy would actually love, the Sklar brothers, uh, identical twins, Randy and Jason. They got a great, sarcastic, dry, uh, in-your-face sense of humor that Lemmy would have loved. And uh, they're coming up. It's going to be a great conversation with the Sklar brothers. I thank them for being here, and I thank you guys for being here and for supporting my great sponsors on Talk is Jericho. It's been an incredible 2015. The show has just grown uh, unbelievable in leaps and bounds. I'm so excited to see where we're going in 2016. I got another year of awesome guests i've already got january all booked i got a great another legendary uh legendary uh, show business icon coming up next week so there's lots of good stuff coming up uh, lots of uh, uh of great 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 shows uh thanks to you guys for listening and thanks to my great sponsors for being here and one of my favorite sponsors is also a good friend of mine diamond dallas page and ddp yoga and wait till you hear what dallas has done now not only has he changed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people including mine he's got a new app it's called the ddpy now app and and the, uh, it's it's amazing. The, this app is one of the best constructed apps I've ever seen. You go inside, it unlocks all the doors for DDP Yoga. All the workouts are on there now. Um, I, I don't have to carry around my cumbersome DVDs. I don't even have a DVD player in my MacBook anymore. I had to buy a small DVD player to hook up to the MacBook to play my uh, DDP Yoga videos or uh, DVDs. They're all scratched up and skipping. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I got this new app, DDPY Now, and it's taken me everywhere I need to go with DDP Yoga because it's easier than ever. You know I talk about this program all the time and if you're still a little skeptical a little bit of a, of a negative nancy oh that'll never work really go check out ddpyoga.com slash jericho and check out jared's video unbelievable this guy changed his life by losing 313 pounds in 17 months didn't hear me i'll say it again 313 pounds in 17 months. All right. He's documented his entire DDP uh, yoga story in pictures and wrote an amazing journal about his experiences and where he is now in his life. He's in a better place, man. He narrates everything in the video. You can hear the conviction and the happiness in his voice. Truly a miracle sponsored and, and accomplished by doing DDP yoga. Congrats to Jared on what he's accomplished. Thanks to uh, the program. And I bet you he's downloaded the DDPY now app. I know I have this app has everything exclusive of live workouts with the Yoda Yoga himself, DDP from the DDP Yoga Performance Center in Atlanta, Georgia. It's got expanding archive of workouts for you to choose from. Stand-up is on there, my all-time favorite. Uh, nutrition guides, recipes, live cooking shows, because your diet is so important uh, to stay in shape. Plus, the app has Bluetooth heart rate monitor compatibility and detailed interactive fitness tracking to keep you motivated to reach your goals. Now, check this out. The more workouts you do, the more points you get. The more points you get, you turn them in for special special rewards and DDP yoga swag. Okay. You actually get stuff to get in shape. You are getting presents to get in shape. 
Where else are you going to get that? Dallas has thought of everything, and you can join him now with the DDPY Now app for iPhones, Androids, on the web. And check this out. If you buy the DDP Yoga program at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, you get three free months of DDPY Now app free. All right? Three free months of DDPY Now. Okay, why are you waiting? Why aren't you doing DDP yoga? Why are you making excuses, man? Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho now and take advantage of this great offer only available to the sexy beast listeners of Talk is Jericho. DDP yoga has changed people's lives, including mine. It can change yours too. All you got to do is commit. Hey, man, get off your butt. Go down to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and get in the best shape of your life and do it today. Talk is Jericho. I certainly dress professional. I'm walking up here with like a backwards. <laughs> what is that? Who is, it's who? David Bowie. Oh, it's a Bowie. Okay. Bowie shirt and shorts on, and I just I like literally passed everybody who was dressed nice for work here. It's yeah. like office building, and I like people. Like, what an idiot! I really bet everybody nice looked place. at me. I was like, what a what an idiot! I thought you were here to like to fix the toilets or yeah. something. Yeah, it's or like worse. I'm here, guys, to uh, just show me where the wiring is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm here with the the Sklar twins, the Sklar brothers. Uh, and it's Randy and Jason, and I'm still at the stage. There's always that awkward stage when you first mm-hmm. meet twins. Yes. When you don't know which one is which. So I know that Randy was late. Yes. So he's tardy. Mm-hmm. Tardy Randy. I was, I was born five minutes before you, and that's really? about the we difference. We were kind of trying to approximate that. Yes. That, so I came five <laughs> minutes later, made a bigger entrance. You so guys are like, taking this twin thing to no, the extreme. Yeah, it's like, you always have to come five that. minutes earlier. Dude, I do not get that. When one twin is like... There, there's a dominant thing, not a dominant thing, but you know, if you're mm-hmm. born five minutes before the other one and really takes it on as they're the older one, yeah, that makes no sense to me whatsoever because you really, there's just no. You were just closer. to the I understand door. if you were right, <laughs> close to the door, close to the exit. Yeah, right? I get it if you're two years older, a year older, or whatnot. You've lived right. more. You kind of you can actually lord that over. Said so I've experienced this. What you're about to go through, I can talk to you from a point of wisdom. Mm-hmm. But when you see that stratification among two twins, that's amazing. It, to me, it, I don't even understand how they can do that. So we're we're constantly trying to figure out what this relationship is. But you guys also do so. So so uh, Jason has the glass. Too. I need them. I need them. Yes. And I you need don't. Do you have I don't need them. You don't need them. I don't need them. Although I'll say this, my wife. <laughs> I mean, we're forty three. We're not old, but we're forty three. Yeah. yeah. My wife like had a pill bottle that she was like, "I got to take one of these things. Can you just read how many I have to take?" And I took a look at it and I was like, "Are you?" The kid pill me. bottles are designed to their pill bottles are dicks. So here's what I call <laughs> they're designed to make you feel bad. I so I'm like I can't see it. I'm under a light. I'm like I can't read. I have it my all glasses and I can't see. I was it. like I, I can't, can't see it. it. So what I realized is then I watched uh, True Detective last night, the second season of True Detective. I now need to watch True Detective twice to get everything that's in it. True Detective is essentially you can't be- see or because it's no, so- not because I can't okay. see because like my I feel like I'm getting too old to understand everything that's happening. Gotcha. Like it's become the pill bottle of TV shows. Yeah. So like I'm like I, 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 wait I got to see that again because I didn't really oh wait this True is Detective happening. is the dick of TV shows. Gosh, how, how is that is the new season of True? Detective? Uh, I haven't seen it okay. yet, but he's I'm Randy's on watching. it. I'm I still really have to on. go back and watch the first. You have one. to watch the first one. First oh, one was you, incredible. I'm way out. You know what it is? The first one was really simple you could really follow the storyline yeah. this is like bringing it it's different I, you can't even compare to me it's like a completely different tv show it's like two different movies by the same i love the concept though that it's become like the a-list show like now it's yeah. like the first season was woody harrelson and matthew mcconaughey now it's vince vaughn and uh well i think what, colin farrell this was my yeah. this is yeah. my take on sort of just why it's so freaking cool and why mm-hmm. it's so great 
you know, you see a movie and it's two hours long, two and a half if it's a long movie or three, but typically 90 to, to two hours. Right. That's where you can tell you tell the story and there's a lot to get out. If you've ever written a movie or whatnot, you're always like, I wish I had more time here. Mm-hmm. I wish I had more time here. With an eight episode, eight hours of TV, which I think was the first True Detective, you can just – you get everything. You get every backstory that you wish you could have right, included yeah. in the movie. It's like – Four movies. You essentially do the the you know with the, the quadrilogy. The quadrilogy with the budget too. Like there's like spending big money on these things. Music. But it feels like yeah. so great about music. Like great music, and obviously T Bone Burnett is in there, and so he once he gets on board, everybody wants to work with him. So you get the great music, you get this, and then you really can have scenes between Woody Harrelson and, and Matthew McConaughey at the, in in the first one that are longer than you would take in a movie. Mm-hmm. You can't. There's one tracking shot in the first scene. And you know Amazing, what I'm talking yeah. about in at the, the, at the in the house, ghetto, right? the like the housing house, yeah. project that was like eight and a half minutes long yeah. of one shot. We went back and my wife and I watched it like three or four times, just like, wait, what? That's the cut right there in the car. It was just amazing. And I feel like those are things you really can't do in a movie. You might be able to, for it, but that's the that's the thing. Now people watch more HBO type shows or Showtime or whatever right. than probably do watch movies because of that exact reason. So if you're an actor and you're Matthew McConaughey, so I watch watch McConaughey in that, and then watch him in Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. Great in Dallas Buyers Club. Really, really great performance. I've that. always said though that I would like to go back and have McConaughey do all the romantic comedy, Failure to Launch. Uh, the wedding planner. Uh-huh. I've seen them all because my what wife was it like them. Lost at Sea or something, like that. <laughs> something like that, right? All those all of them with Goldie Hawn's daughter. To me, I would love it if he did all those movies at the same weight that he was for Dallas yeah. Buyers Club, and he did explain it. Thirty-two. Why he plays the same character too? Yes. Like he's like this yeah. AIDS like homophobe, like a away. total like right. yeah, like but a he's a businessman, so he's got oh, stuff that, yeah, to that's do. That's right because he was the homophobe, right? He started as homophobe and then he like changed his way. Like, so it was like t- what was the one with Kate Hudson? It was like ten ways to oh uh, yeah oh uh, yeah ten fifty ways to leave your lover or whatever. Something else. Like she worked that. at Cosmopolitan. Ten ways to lose a guy. Ten ways to lose a guy. And the biggest way is if he's an AIDS. Riddle, homophobe. riddle homophobe who's just business minded, right? That Operating a, a illegal pills dispensary, and he's like, I don't hotel. have time to be in a romantic comedy right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, I'm in a goddamn old failure hotel. To lunch. I got a failure to get these drugs now from Mexico. <laughs> I did want to call the Dallas Buyers Club's failure to lunch. I don't know if that's <laughs> really good. That could have been a different name. Yeah, he's, he's not eating because he's dying because the man is dead. That is, but it is really awesome. So if I, if you're an actor, if you're Vince Vaughn, and we were lucky enough to do a movie with him, and he just met him and hung out with him and he was a, really? he's a I like cool. how you, so we were lucky enough to do we, we were. were it was we were a long time a ago with him. a yes. long time ago old Vincey I wish there was like a, a way like I love when people talk about people that you know but you only know them as one name and they yeah, throw yeah, like, another name Vin, like Bobby De Niro yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so we did a, we did a picture with Vincey and uh, no. Vincenzo Vincenzo what movie was that I was called The Prime Gig and it actually had all the elements to be a big Ed Harris. Movie. Ed Harris, Julia Ormond. Romney Malko's first movie. Mm-hmm. Romney Malko was fantastic in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, uh, Stephen Tobolowski was great in the movie. Yeah. Was George Wendt in the movie? George Wendt was, was in the movie. Always, always great scene, Cheers. George. So great. Norm. So, always Georgie, great Georgie. Scene, Georgie. George. Uh, and so it just, for whatever reason, I think like, I think it was New Line or somebody else, there were arguments over how to release it and when to release it, and it just didn't. Never even got but released. But it was a great, it, it did, it get did but it just Small. It never yeah, did what it really yeah, could have right, done. Right, it was right. more of like an indie film when it could have been like a updated Glengarry Glenn Ross. So the guy who directed it, Gregory Mosier, directed Glengarry Glenn Ross on Broadway. He's a great director. And so, you know, we had a couple scenes with him and 
it, what was great is we had the lines and I we really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. But what was great is that in the moment, we could sense that he wanted to improvise. And so for us, that, yeah. we were like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Ready okay. to play? We're oh, ready so to play. This is what we're going to do. And then and there was a little bit of that with him. And you could tell he was just so excited to have this moment where it changed every time because a lot of a lot of actors can't do that they don't want that improv element yeah exactly like vince is funny and he is like i'm glad you bring this up because it's so interesting because i've thought a lot about our interview with you on our podcast you were fantastic and then and i thought a lot even more about it because we just had rowdy piper on Mm -hmm. which i'm sure you know him and and of course yeah absolutely exactly and I mean, we had tremendous reverence for him growing up watching him. And even though he was a heel back in the day and we bought into everything because you want to hate yeah, him. Of course. But there was something about him that he what he did that you, you're like, I hate him, but I love him. Mm-hmm. I love everything that he's doing right now. I love him pushing these buttons. I love him doing this stuff. So we had him on the podcast. And what we realized is that wrestling is exactly like improv. Oh, only, absolutely. Only to me, it's a exactly. much higher degree of difficulty because someone is you. You have someone's health in the balance. Well, yeah, both physically and also verbally. Like when, especially in the older days, when you did a, a promo, as we call them, a lot of that was all improv. Yeah. Totally. Like I used to work with The Rock, and we we were working for the title, and we'd have the. 20 minute match or whatever I was the heel mm-hmm. I would go over in the end some you know heinous way mm-hmm. win mm-hmm. and then we'd do another 15-20 minutes of, of improv where Rock would just talk and we would just you know go on about whatever and it right. would lead to him giving me his rock bottom finish at the end right. and that was just as important as the match itself was totally. the improv because comedy get the people heated right, and just making shit up and that was kind of the secret but to- you're making it up in front of 15,000 right. people who are if you're the heel, they're hating your guts, and, you, the, and you want to make them hate you. Get over on the crowd. Mm-hmm. You want to get over on those people. You want them to like hate you so much, and then you want to make mistakes that make them laugh at you. Right. You want that's to- what Roddy Piper was saying. He was saying that there were moments what he loved, or were we talking about this with you? Or he, he I think he was saying this that he, the guys who are too perfect today bothers him. Mm-hmm. He's like there are moments when. Guys would trip when they come into the ring, and if you're a bad guy, like you can take that moment in it. You inadvertently tripped over the ropes to sure. get in the ring. Yeah, you could like turn around and just blame it, it on the blame crowd, blame it on the crowd, and blame it on the yeah, ring, anything. and blame yeah. it on. If you forget your lines, all you gotta do is like, you guys got me so frustrated, yeah. and so distracted by That's your right. idi- 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 yeah. idiosity, yeah. idiosity, that I can't even think straight, right? yeah. you know, and just kind of go off on your own. But that's the beauty of improv. Like when I went to do the Groundlings, they're yeah. like, you're, "You're great at this. Are you, are you, have you ever done improv before?" I'm like, "Yeah, for like 15 mm-hmm. years. That's right. Mm-hmm. Basically every night." And you guys are great at it too. I watched some of your stuff yeah. last night where they had like the. Um, it was something with the Nerdist where you had like things would just pop up behind. Oh, set list. Set that list. is that's crazy. That show is nuts because it's a stand-up show. Troy Conrad, great dude, and Paul Provenza. And Paul Provenza really is like the sort of torchbearer of that as well as like the in front face. Although Troy puts together a great show. So what they do is they have comedians come on and then behind you on the monitor they bring up subjects. That yeah. Is, and as a comedian, when you go on stage. Your armor, your body armor is, or is your material. 
That's your job. You know that you can fall back on that. This is you've tested it out. You've mm-hmm. tried it out a bunch of times. You know this is going to work. When you build a set of comedy and you're about to come out in front of a crowd, you're like, all right, maybe we'll try a new thing here that we've never said before. But we're going to couch that in between two things that we know work. So sure. if we dig a hole, we know we can come back on this bit. Right, right, right. You That's, got your you walk this way out. no matter what. That's right. <laughs> you know, as a band, right. as performing a band, you know we're going to break out a new song. We don't know how they're going to, but we're going to follow that with a classic that people know that they. Want want to hear so we feel like that on stage when we go on stage we have that basis when you go do this show set list they put up a subject whether it's like gynecological death ray (laughs) or whatever it is like you know and it's always weird and it's and they try and tailor it to the people who are doing the show because people they they tailor it to i think one of ours was like sharknado three we just give a synopsis yeah sharknado Sharknado just said sharknado three and we did so Basically, it pops up on the screen. You see it for the first time when the audience sees it for the first time. Then you have to internalize it and treat it. The trick of the game of that improv game is to treat it like it's an old classic bit of yours. And you have to start going. Now, if you're one person, you start developing your train of thought. You start working. You start going. If you're two people, if I am thinking one thing on this thing, but he speaks first, I have to drop my entire train of thought. And go with him. And get on his bus and follow him. And it's It's, it's hard. the tried and true rule of improv. Yes, and. Yes, and. You never say and. no. The sky is blue. Well, yes, it is. And. Mm-hmm. Or the sky is black. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it is. And. Uh-huh. You know? It is. I, and it's so I, – I have a six-year-old son uh, and and sometimes in bed when, when I'm putting him to sleep, I tell him – because he was sort of interested in improv. I was telling him about improv and he was like – I was like, do you want to do improv or do you want a story? He was like, I want to do improv. <laughs> and so I'm like, OK. So the rule is – you can't say no. So I'll say like, now I understand you were the first person ever to eat a whale or something like that. If he says no, I'm like improv over. So he now. <laughs> good night. Good night. Good night. That's it. Lights are out. That's it. So he'll say. So now he knows that uh, he's got to keep it going. Right? And the longer he keeps it going, the longer he gets to stay up a little bit. And it's <laughs> so fun because now he's learning how to like build on it. And that's essentially that what set list We didn't is. come up. How many years of Groundlings did you do? I did it for a year. It's awesome. Cooking with Gas, the Thursday show. It mm-hmm. was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, you, you, the number one rule besides yes and is commit. You have to commit. Mm-hmm. To, you know, it's not always going to be hilarious, but if you stick with it, you can make it work. You can make it work, yeah. yeah. And you just, and you don't always have to try to be funny. Like the, that's, that's another the rule. Other don't thing. try and be funny. Don't. Anytime you try and like use a gag voice or mug, you know, mug or something like waka waka, yeah. it's never all that. No, no because right. people who come to see it there are trained more, and I think people in general now mm-hmm. are more trained to kind of like look at that as like. Mm, you're, you just took me out of whatever was happening right now. So the more real you can make it, and we base all the reality stuff off stuff that happens in our lives, like any argument you have with your wife or any you know moment you have with your kids, and it, it, it teaches you, if you're a performer, to put the receptors up and kind of feel – like if you have this moment, all right, I got to live in this moment. I can't be thinking about Twitter. I can't be thinking about what I have to do later today. I had, My kid is sad right now, and I got to get in there and yeah, figure yeah, this yeah. out and figure it out so that you never – I want to fix this situation because it's with my kid. But at the same time, I might actually learn something about how I handle this in a situation. Or you don't even want to fix it. You just want to be there with them with their emotions. Yeah, yeah, just emotion. I want to fix it. You, you, guys, you guys are really um, – it's, it's an anomaly almost because you're twin stand-up comedians and you really do – pick up on each other's thoughts and it's almost like you're finishing each other's thoughts and that sort of thing. Is this just a natural thing because you guys grew up together? 
I think so. I mean, I think we listen really well to each other. I think we feel, you feel each other's, that's why I think with wrestling, you know, it's like two people in the ring, you got to be like paying attention to what they're doing and you're, you sort of work as one, even that's though right. you're yeah. two people. A side souffle doesn't happen if the guy go, doesn't get up in the air. He, there's one, you you know, suplex. I don't know suplex. why they called it a souffle. 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 Suplex. But like, you know, it, it's not like X is ever a silent letter in any language. <laughs> Like French, it's not, it's not like souffle. It's not like S. Uh, where's he living? Uh, it's a two-house abode. A duplex. He's a duplex. Yeah, he's in a duplex. He owns four, so it's not a four-play. It's a duplex. Can you please flay your muscles? Yes. <laughs> so no, but I mean, there is. Let's say you do a wicked chop off some on someone's solar plays. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But if you chop someone in the back and they don't react, yeah. their half of it doesn't get done and then the whole thing falls That's apart. Right. right. There are two things so there's like a tremendous amount of passing off and mm-hmm. and and that's the same thing that kind of happens here. It's like you know, we were very much influenced by a lot of things that we saw growing up and between two people. And I mean, there are things even that influenced later on in life. I mean, there were, I can remember there was a great team of two dudes called Premium Bob in, in New York. New York. And they, they were, were, they were performance artists. They performance weren't artists and great yeah. actors, but they, they would come on stage dressed in, uh, in these like UPS uniforms almost and they would but nondescript very nondescript just brown shorts and shirt and they would like they were almost like doing a live performance of the back of a pill bottle or or like the <laughs> the uh all the things that the side effects from like a drug or something like that and they and it was like they were sort of living in these weird disclaimers in society and that's sort of what they would present on stage and it was really but the way they built on what they were doing was fascinating and cool and it was very influential on us we were like that's a way to do something that is a way maybe there's something within us that we can do that's not like that but maybe we can sort of take the fun that they're having and put it you watch the early Beastie Boys and the way they sort of overflowed and was listening but adding and then this was adding and then you could think that they were basically like a three-headed monster and then he would come forward and Yauk would come forward they would all be together so it's like you're kind of that was super influential on us because we were just fans of it and we thought we listened to it all the time and you would hear how guys would come in at certain times and make it better and maybe they're not arguing with each other they're actually building upon what they're doing which was like a big thing for us too because a lot of people want to push us in the direction of of arguing all the time oh, we're like yeah, yeah you're gonna be the wacky duo that's always right the straight man and the funny man the guy right. who's always, the guy's always his brothers right yeah. and they did it great there's yeah. no reason to do there's no reason to do that i don't think so once we like, God, i don't know was, i don't think we can do was that. it harder do you think to kind of start making some inroads because there was two of you or was that the gimmick that enabled you to get more gigs i think initially that initially set you apart from everybody else so people were like all right what is this? Mm-hmm. Then it's up to you to be good. I mean, because, you know, a gimmick can only care. Go watch the stand-up comedy of Dustin Diamond. Is he out of jail yet? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know what I mean? He it's makes like, a hell of a dildo. Yeah, you know, right. Doesn't he? So, apparently. Does he? A delicious yeah, So I've heard. Okay. So we've... This is prison talk. So uh, he... <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but he... You watch his stand-up and you say, well, what is his stand-up? I think people will come out because they're like, well, I got to see Screech. Holy sure. shit, I'm going to see Screech right here. Like, this is going to be great. Then you see and you're like, you're there and you say to yourself, that's, I'm not, 
he's not doing any comedy or what mm. maybe he is. I don't know. But I mean, I, I don't want to disparage it because I haven't like sat down no, and watched an hour of his act. But my guess is that he's not. No, he do- talks about like this is Screech on stage swearing. This is that. It's sort of what you expect. So from our perspective, you know, we came up in the 90s, in the mid to late 90s in New York. And there was this huge alternative comedy movement like blowing up on the Lower East Side. And the whole attitude of it was it was almost in reaction to the comedy boom of the early 90s, which was, you know, all these comedy clubs started opening up in every city in a city where you would in St. Louis, where we're from, where there were used to be only one comedy club. All of a sudden there were three. Mm. So now these three clubs have to book. It's like expansion in like baseball. Sure, but imagine right. if baseball decided instead of to add one team, they decided to add a new 26 or or 52 new teams to the league. Well, now, you know, the talent level is going to go down a lot across the board in all these places. And more and more people who are feature acts, they're not headliners. They're not the main event. They're headliners. They're features. They have to or have to headline because they got to fill in these things. So they're not ready or they're va- basically approximating what it is to be a stand-up comedian. So it got spread super thin. And I think, you know, if you it got to a point in the early 90s, if you saw like a fat guy get on stage, you're like, here we go. I know exactly what he's going to say. Mm-hmm. Cut my leg open and gravy's going to spill out or nine other jokes <laughs> right. like that where you're like, I could do this act without this guy even being up here. And you actually don't even fault the guy for doing that because you're like, he's got to fill 45 minutes of this show. He's the headliner and this is what he's doing. And if it works five times in a row, he's going to keep doing it. So we, so we started, when we started, we were way more focused on being, we even dressed alike. It was a horrible beginning for us, (laughs) but we just didn't know. We didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. And we needed to like you go down to Mexico and like train (laughs) somewhere where people couldn't see you. You know what I mean? And like do stand up in like clubs and like, (laughs) but we did, but we, we went to New York. So I, I mean, we, moved from college straight to New York in 94 and we were like suddenly we're in this scene and we're not great and we're doing it in front of like Louis CK and Marin and you know and David Tell and all these other people and people who we loved and who we idolized and so for us you know that wasn't a great start for us but fortunately alternative comedy came up and we, we were in New York when this show Eating It which was a new show that came up it moved to Luna Lounge but it started at uh, Rebar, Rebar. Which is in which is in Chelsea, sixteenth and eighth, and Eighth um, Avenue, and we showed up the first. We were at the first one, and we were at the third one. The third one, thirty people in the room, hardly any. I mean, but incredible comedians like Sarah Silverman and people like that, like in this room, uh, Liz Winstead, who was one of the head writers of the Daily Show, the original creators Daily Show, of it. creators mm-hmm. of the Daily Show, uh, and a few other great people, and the comedy was not. That like, hey guys, what the hell's going? What's the deal with so and so? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. where people try and sound like some version of Seinfeld or some version of whoever. It was like this woman comes up and tells like a story about her abortion that she had, and she, it's hilarious at times, and then she's almost crying like a few minutes into it. There's no desire to like try to make everybody snap, 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 laugh, laugh, laugh every two seconds. And then someone else does a bit where people were like, they're doing a story and someone's heckling them out of the crowd and then they get into a fight and it goes off the stage out into the street and like the bits taking place like down the bar, out in the street. Like in Andy Kaufman type stuff. Yeah, it's like have. suddenly the walls, this like box that stand-up comedy was in, like the walls and this roof were just blown off. And we were watching it saying like, wait a minute, this counts as comedy too. We can do this Mm. because now all of a sudden our possibilities are endless because there's two of us on stage. We can, we don't have to write like a million jokes right away. We can create some conceptual bits. And we started doing that. Um, 
And I think it totally changed our. It, it was lucky that mm-hmm. that came along and was popular within that style. That time of our development. You're mentioning all these other comedians like Louis C.K. and Sarah Silverman and stuff. Is there like a, some camaraderie b- 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 amongst stand-up comedians? Oh, yeah. Like are they helping you out with, with the I mean, at they that giving you advice? Yeah. Or? At that point, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but there were comedians that we really did love. Comedians like Andy Kindler who was of that same love sort Andy, of a thing. Yeah. He's the best. Andy and, uh, I mean, and Andy, Mark the, Cohen. Our connection to Andy Kindler was amazing. We just loved him so much. We, and we were home in St. Louis. It was our senior year of college. So this is uh, New Year's, 93 to 90, changing over to 94. And we were in St. Louis, and we noticed that at one of these new comedy clubs, like, who's headlining on New Year's Eve but Andy Kindler? And we're freaking out because we're like, he's in town. This is amazing. He's our favorite comedian. We were big-time comedy nerds. And we said, all right, let's go. So we show up, and it's sold out because it's New Year's. But it's not Andy Kindler's crowd. I mean, these are a bunch of other – these are people who are out to just Mm -hmm. drink. St. Louis people who are not necessarily like – It's kind of like your – and we've done New Year's Eve before. We did it in Sacramento. And – the show was fine, but you're doing a little babysit. You're, you can't really do your act. It's right. like you're not. It's not like you're coming to a, a, a comedy crowd. You're coming to people who are like, Unless "What are we going to do?" And all the people go out are there. for New Year's to the comedy club. Yeah. yeah, and it was a lot of that. It's like when people go out to comedy clubs for their bachelorette parties, <laughs> right, right, right. they have to be it's the like most. The amazing. second you see a woman in like a dick hat, you're like, "Here we <laughs> a dick let's, veil. Here we go. Let's go to Yuck Yucks tonight." You're kind, right. right. I mean, yeah. that's it. You yeah. know it. So it's like, and you're like, "Why do you want to do?" That? And I would want to say to them, like, "This is the wrong place for you to be." Mm-hmm. Yes, you could come and enjoy it if you enjoy yourself, but you guys want to go nuts. Right. Go get, go to a bar go and hook up with a bunch of people. Yeah. Scream, go to yeah. a strip club where you can yell at the thing. Like, enjoy that. This is your, your – it, it steps on what people are doing and so, it distracts other people. So Candler's doing all this, like, hilarious, intricate, like, comedy where he's commenting on what he just did and the crowd is like – not having it and and we're, ran, loving it. we're going right, nuts yeah, yeah. at our table and a small portion of the crowd yes. is really enjoying it. yes but like the it, he's clearly going way over their heads and going like to really cool comedy places that these people did not expect to go to so the show's over and we were at university of michigan at the time and i'm sure he was thinking to himself like that was rough sledding or that was definitely like not a fun show mm-hmm. to do and we came up to him we said that was hilarious. We want to book you at the University of Michigan. I'm sure he was like, <laughs> off of that show? We were like, no, no, no. You don't understand. We're like your biggest fans. And would you come to Michigan to perform? And he said, sure. Just contact my agent. So we did. And we got him as much money as our school could give him, which was nice. And then we said, when he came, we said, we're going to do some stand-up in front of you. You watch us and maybe let us know. Because we're thinking about doing this, but we're maybe going to go to law school. We don't know. You know, this is 94. Law school or comedian. I mean, it really. Two, I right? mean, if you were an English major in and you were Jewish in the 90s, mid-90s, but pre-internet boom. <laughs> you were going to law school. You were going to law school. <laughs> right. So, I mean, we have plenty of friends. We have plenty of friends who went down that road. And and I would say 65 to 70% of them are now out of the law. Okay. So they made the wrong choice right. for them. And so we, we said, watch us. And, and then afterwards, we took him out for pancakes. And we said, well, what do you think? And he was so honest, mm-hmm. which I think is why we... He's First like, of all, we had a great time hanging out with him, which yeah, I'm sure you go again. We've now been to colleges and you go do these things. And so that's why whenever someone asks us if they want us to hang out after the show or go have a right, we always say yes. Because, I mean, from that experience, you never was, know, right. You, you want to repay that. Totally. And, and he said, here's what I think. He's like, I think you guys are really funny. And I think 
you know, there's a there were a couple funny jokes in there. He's like, I think you need to just get rid of your whole act, start over. But I think if you guys really focus on it and and you move to a city like New York or L.A. or something like that, I think you guys can can probably be on TV by the time you're 25 if that's what you want to do. Or I think you guys can be in this business. There's enough unique about mm-hmm. you guys, and you're funny enough that like if you put it all it together, works right. He's like, you're not doing it yet. He's like, the, what what I saw isn't it. But the fact that he was able to give us that sort of negative with the positive in that moment we were we believed it more it wasn't like he was like yeah you guys are great you should do it he or no i don't Which think is so. the biggest bullshit thing oh yeah you guys everything's great like everything's great yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. keep it up then you know they didn't care right or weren't I, even watching i mean painted. how many auditions have we gone on and the people are like oh it's great thanks so yeah. much and then you never hear from them yeah again. we love you you'd yeah. rather they go okay i like that but let's do one like this because i think it needs to be more like this then you know like okay now they're trying to see how they can if right. you can take direction and see if you can manipulate it. You'd he was rather. right. He was so right. But we needed to then see the rebar show, which he invited us to. He was up on that show. And this is his crowd now. And, and we needed to see that to know what we could then jump to from where we were. We had no idea. We, mm-hmm. He had it in his mind. He's like, you need to be more like what's happening here. And he'd been out in L.A. and there was a great show called The Uncabaret out here. Bob Odenkirk and Andy Dick and Beth Janine Garofalo. Beth Lapidus was the one who started that show. And that show was, again, storytelling. and She would be on a back mic and like you know, the comedians would be telling a story or whatever, and she would interject and almost it was almost like an early version of a podcast. But like, you know, she would in, she would interject and ask a question, which would then maybe lead the comedians to create even more comedy. It was a cool it's like choose your own adventure. She's giving you little elements. Totally. But it was totally. revolutionary. Mm-hmm. I like you never saw that in a club. Imagine the scene that we described before of the expansion, three sure. comedy clubs in St. Louis. That would never exist. It's almost like improv. Right. right. In, in such a great way to keep the comedians on their toes. And you have to just assume and it'd say, I'm funny. I can handle this. Like same like the. And her attitude was no shtick in that show. It was uh, she's like. I want to hear about your day. I want to hear about funny people talking about their lives in real ways and truthfully will be funny. Like, I don't want you to do your best like eight minute bit. Mm -hmm. I want you to say this experience happened to me and you ended up mining a lot of comedy out of it. And later we would do that show a lot enough to where, you know, we actually wrote a like one hour show based on all the bits that we had done in that show. It was really, really a special informative. So, but we, so Andy had come from that, that existed like in 91, like I want to say 90, 91, 92, 93. In LA. So, so he comes with all that in his head and then comes see and sees us at Michigan and he's probably thinking to himself, you guys need to get into this mm-hmm. without being able to say it to us because we had no idea right, of what right. that was. That. So then we're in New York and he comes to New York because he was living in LA and he said he was going to do Conan and then he said, I want to come see me in the show tonight if you guys want. We stayed in touch with him because we were just mm-hmm. huge fans. He said, come see me in the show tonight. We said, okay. We come and see him and it's this thing that just blows see, and that, That's great when you meet somebody like that who helps you but you guys told a great story I watched where where because sometimes you go do a set and there'll be other like famous comedians there doing sets as well and you had the yin and yang of the Arsenio slash uh, Dice. Andrew Dice, Dice Clay oh, which man. was it's a great story I mean it was it was insane it really did happen and I just remember when it happened and so I mean the gist of it is that like you know I mean we Arsenio this is at the comedy store back and the comedy store is really actually taken an awesome turn upward in the past and it's it's a building turn Mm -hmm. upward in the in the past but i would say in the past like two or three years in the early 80s the comedy store was incredible and and in the 70s you could go late 70s early 80s you could go see prior 
you would go see Robin Williams, right. young Robin Williams. You would see Leno. You would see Letterman, Letterman hosted. Wow. And so it was guys would just show up there or they would be booked there. Or they, they would be, be booked on the, the night. That go. was the place to go to do comedy. But like you would look out in the crowd and you would see Henry Winkler in the crowd. <laughs> and Henry Winkler was like the, the biggest yeah. he on Happy Days, like the biggest TV right. star out there. Freddie Prince Jr. was there. Cheech and Chong. I mean, the incredible excitement and energy in the early 80s. It was the like going store. to Studio 54 or something. It was the place to be seen. It totally Absolutely. was. Right. Comedy was like you were a rock star. It's what the cool people were doing. They were going to see comedy and they were going to see these shows. And you would see directors and actors and big time people just coming out to watch Richard Pryor do 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. That was a big... That's what they, as we talked with uh, Piper, that was like red heat all the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> red you know heat versus I mean? white heat. Red heat versus white heat. We got into a deep discussion about it. Red heat versus white heat. That was red heat all the way. And that red heat actually, that cloud of that red heat hangs around for a long time. A lot of times long after. Too long. Mm-hmm. Too long. So, I mean, in the mid-80s, it was Kinnison and Bill Hicks and all these other people were like coming through there. But drugs, sort of, you know, the yeah. drugs that they were not really so much. Put it this way: we smoke a lot of pot, but like at the back room in the in the green room of the comedy store, the main room, which is the big room, uh, there is a coffee table in the shape of a piano. The entire top of it is a mirror. <laughs> it's a mirror. I don't have to tell you anything <laughs> right. else. Yeah, the, the bar, and, and so you know, everybody sort of performed there, but it was it was a, starting to go down a little bit, right? And you would have. People were really famous, and they would have all their hanger-ons, and the entourages were people who wanted to do comedy, and the comedy store, I think at the time, were like, look, we got to take care of this guy because he's put his name on the marquee, and people show up, and that's what it is, and in order to do that, we got to give his six other buddies stage time up in the thing, and then suddenly it kind of goes down, and then the big guy dies or isn't hanging around anymore and who's left these guys who are already established and so like a whole wave of the people who used to hang on kind of hung out there and it was dark it was like a dark spot and like when we got there also mitzi shore Polly shore's mom who owned the club right yeah that's Shore's family started to get sick Mm. so when she passed us she was still healthy and getting passed at the comedy store getting passed at a comedy club means that the owner watches you and says okay you're good enough for me to it's funny because in the regular thing he's like if something gets passed on like if a product gets passed on that means they're not going to make it right. but in the stand-up club if you get passed that means you're passed by the person you can pass go and you can you now pass the test you pass the test so now you get a chance to put in submit your avails and they can and every week they can tell you when you're going to get spot that was the only place that started booking us here in in la when we came in 99 and so we did a bunch of spots there and then for us it was really you know we started to to kind of it's it, you know it was a different type of place because who are the type of people that are coming up and paying twenty dollars for parking to then go see a show at the it wasn't what it was back at <laughs> yeah. the time where you know twenty years earlier it was yeah, the cool people had sort of gravitated away from that Sunset Strip right there and they were you know east in Los Feliz and heading yeah, into yeah, Silver yeah. Lake and in Echo Park they were heading starting to head eastward and the cool comedy was happening elsewhere what was left up on Sunset was this sort of remnant of the early 90s so you had these big time stars coming by and there was a real look of sort of the attitude of this place isn't the improv and this place isn't the laugh factory and it's just it is what it is but something in that and this is I guess like the way our dad sort of raised us he was very much of a lunch pail sort of a dude 
we kind of took that as a little bit of a badge of honor that like, okay, we're going to start that. Okay. People feel that way about this and agents aren't coming up here in this one. Let's get in here and let's work on this stuff here and let's like work it out here. And this will be our place. And we'll yeah, love yeah. this as it's our like place. Your gym. It's like your dirty gym <laughs> right, sure. that no one wants to come to. We're going to work it Equipment out. Equipment kind of is a little rusty <laughs> or whatnot, but Hey, you still get your reps in. Yeah. You still get it in. And, get in shape. And there's something beautiful about it being dank and leaking pipes and this mm-hmm. and that. And it just, there's something workmanlike about it. Right. And so, that, that's that we really love that about it. What we didn't love is that there were moments and times for you'd see like great things like Arsenio. We talked about coming up, and one time he brought us on stage, and we'd never met. Oh, you know, yeah. The other thing about the the original room at the comedy store is that there's no host, so essentially you do your set. Gotcha. You you're supposed to find out who's next before you get on stage. You do your set, you remember, and then you go, okay, this next guy. Everyone is the host. Everyone, you do your set, and then you and then you bring on it's the next a relay. guy. You pass on to the it's next a relay. Guy. That's, That's right. right. And there's a guy playing piano, Jeff, in the corner who who plays piano like right as your set ends, and then. If you forget, which usually happens, you go, hey, Jeff, who's next? I mean, that happens all the time. And people Jeff, don't care. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. that's not a horrible thing. Jeff will tell you who's next. The second you hear it, as a comedian, you almost have to put up a facade, whether you know it or you don't. You, this is you sort of treating the whole comedy brotherhood and sisterhood with respect. Whoever it is, you should, in your mind, be like, ah, you guys are so lucky. Get ready. This guy's amazing. If you don't know their credits, you say, he is a regular here at the Comedy Store. He's done TV, and you've seen it. And if you haven't, it's your fault. Give it up for, and you give it who it is. If you know them personally, which a lot of times, you know, we have personal connections. You know most of the people in the scene. You know, this guy makes us laugh so hard for these reasons. You've seen him on this. You've seen him on this. And you're so lucky that you get to see him here tonight. Give it up for Mm so-and-so. That should be the introduction. If you've never met someone before, you want to try and tee them up so they do a good job. You care about the show. So we were in there one night, and Arsenio was there. Arsenio Hall, like, you go back and watch Coming to America. And by the way, he was the one guy that challenged Carson. When Carson oh, yeah. was that, like he was the guy that had him scared. Think about think Clinton. Of, think of early Dan Wright playing saxophone. saxophone. I mean, that was like everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Clinton is black in that yeah. moment," because he was like, "Yes, he is there. He's jamming." But you look at the early '90s. Arsenio was massive, 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 Huge. massive. Huge. Yeah, I mean, changed the way people the whoop whoop yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, like that town. that didn't yeah. exist. <laughs> Where yeah, did that exist right. yeah, before yeah. that? Like yeah. maybe uh, late, late on the Apollo, but like not really. But it's that certainly wasn't in the general content. He took that and made it. He was the one guy from the outside who scared the hell out of mm-hmm. Carson as out far as like, oh, this yeah. guy could could out take good over. Old boys club. Yeah. He could take yeah. over. And and so that was amazing. And so we grew up kind of knowing that and seeing some certain things. Go back and like I watched uh, the rap man Third Base. The watch Third Base's first performance on Arsenio. It's amazing. It's amazing the way they did it. It's amazing the way it exists. It would make you. It's, you know, it much, make much you, in the way that Carson could make you 10 years earlier. But totally. for a younger hip right, Exactly. Bingo. So he was this guy that we kind of were like, never met him. He comes up and introduces us, and he... He does his set. He's going there just to hang out for five Yeah, to do minutes. his set. And by the way, if you are a big-time person... You have a 15-minute slot. Or sometimes they'll be like, look, this guy's working on more stuff or this woman's working on more stuff. We'll give them two back-to-back slots. And on the sheet, it says their name back-to-back. 
So there's a schedule. This guy goes yes. on this time, this time, yes. this time, this time. Okay. Everyone's so about Arsenio, to his credit, had a 15-minute set and cut it at 14 because he's a professional. Right. He, he stops. He also respects the rest of the show. Of course. There's other he, people following. He doesn't want to cut into your set. If he goes 20 minutes, then you guys only it's get 10. It's the biggest sign of nonverbal respect to right. do your – It's the same thing when you play a festival, like a music festival. That's right. You got 30 minutes. You don't do 35 because guess what? The next band gets five minutes less, and that's the Cardinals And if, by the way, if everybody did that, the headliners who come on at the end that's of the right. night show up like three hours after their time. That's right. Exactly. And that's uncool. Exactly. That's, that's very unprofessional. For yeah. everyone showing up. And word gets around, too, about totally. that. Totally. Yeah. Interesting. Totally. So there's a big star that lights up right above the piano player where, you know, Blue that tells star. you. Neon star. Neon star. And that tells you. So you can't miss it. You're on stage. It lights up once. And then if you're going over, it flashes some <laughs> just to give you a heads up. Like, yeah. hey, man, get, get off. The hell off the you stage. can't miss it. It's right. to your left. It's there. There's just no way to miss it. So he's he light star comes up. I'm done, and you know it's Arsenio. He could have done, of course. And by the way, you kind of expect. All right, big people are going to do a little longer because whatever they may not get out as much. It's a thrill for the crowd. They're yeah, in there, they, and they don't care they what you expecting. Do. It. You right. give the buffer. You give yeah. the buffer, especially on like a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, whatever. Arsenio is so professional, and it was just like such a nice nod. And then he proceeds to introduce us and introduce us in a way that like he was introducing us on his show. <laughs> I mean, Jay and I were in the corner going, whoop, whoop, whoop. Whoop. I mean, like I was like, who's he going to? Oh, that's us. Oh <laughs> yeah. shit, that's We're us. Next. We're on the Arsenio Hall show. I felt like we were on the Arsenio yeah. Hall show. It was so awesome. It's like, you're going to love these brothers. These brothers. And it was so, it was so, the bro- I mean, and the- it was like, it just was special. Yeah. I can't even describe it except that, it, it, you know, it was a regular weekday night that didn't mean shit. And then we walk up there and it, it was special to you actually. Made, you, I can see you guys are still smiling. Totally. It, 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 it made me love him. Love the It made guy. your day and made, made yeah. I he didn't him. have to do that and yet you'll never forget Under it. That's right. no circumstances did mm-hmm. he have to do that. And what he did was made fans for life. From all, we already were fans of his, sure. but like he, we now are supporters of his. Right. It's like professional courtesy that he showed Simple thing. Right, what, is it, what skin off his back is well, like that? Like you said, he's respected the brotherhood of, of comedy. That's right. You know, these guys are coming up here to work their ass It'd be off. like you come into the, the, you know, the World Wrestling Federation or the WWE and a longtime yeah, pro, a guy you look up to, gives you the respect of, yeah. you know, like it lets everybody know that, hey, you're good. It just was like a real right. positive thing. So the flip side of that was we were there one night when Dice was there. Mm-hmm. And we almost didn't even t- tell this. Uh, so, I don't know. This, this is the first stand-up bit we've ever written out of, like, anger. <laughs> uh, and it was pretty strong and powerful for years. I and mean, we haven't done the bit in a while. But, uh, but Dice was the opposite. I mean, Dice showed up. And, you know, and this is now he's probably about, you know, he's had he's had a great resurgence. He really has. I mean, a credit to him. I'm standing here going he treated us like shit. But I'm also standing here saying credit to him. He was in the Woody Allen movie. He did the thing on Entourage. Entourage, I mean, he's he's probably in the Entourage movie. I mean, he's like he's great. He's coming back. It's huge for him. Mm -hmm. But on Showtime, he hosts. But at the time, at the time, it was. He was sort of in between and like over, kind of past his his definitely past his prime, and he does about an hour. Guy sold out Madison, Madison Square, Square Garden, Garden several yeah. nights. Yes, so you can't. I mean, we understand the respect we give him, the comedy respect for the success he had. And as as younger people, we were actually fans of his of of his comedy. And his attitude was phenomenal oh, yeah. to watch. Once it was again, just, early nineties, yeah. much like Arsenio, he was a late eighties, ground, a groundbreaking yeah. dude. But he comes. Go, but again, he comes out. That still doesn't give you license in my mind to go and do an hour and fifteen minutes when you were supposed to do that's fifteen crazy, minutes. Yeah. 
So, is the star blinking the whole time? Oh, I mean, I mean the, at some point they just turned it off. And they're just right, like, "What? Right, we can't right. stop this." And yeah. and you know, people in the and also it's not like he's, you know, sometimes when Chappelle will show up and do like an hour or two hours or something like that, he's actually doing comedy throughout. Like there were multiple times in that hour and fifteen minutes that when we would pop back in the showroom and he'd be like, "So what else can? What else is going on?" You know, if you're not there, if you yeah. don't have that wall to wall, and you're really working a new hour and fifteen, then then get off. Don't right. Don't do that. Don't do that to the other people. Mm-hmm. So that way, finishes up his set. And it was just terrible, and <laughs> and in terms of waiting for that long, and the room had walked, and we were just upset. You know, because we're like, why do we even stick around? We should have left. Yeah, we didn't. And he, of course, didn't know who was next because he had, was told in a different decade. And then <laughs> gets up there and proceeds. To, you know, he's like, "Who's next?" And like Jeff's playing the piano. He's like the Sklar Brothers. He's like, who? So now we're like, okay, here we go. And he's like, well, I, you know, I never fucking heard of them. So, you know, they're going to suck or something. So just a horrible thing. And we're like, which is his shtick. Fine. That's his shtick. He can say that. But also we don't know you and we're not in your crew Mm -hmm. and we're not here to. You know, he's bearing you yeah, for no kinda reason. Kind of like for no reason. And we, so we come on stage. White heat. So white heat. So we come on stage <laughs> and we're like, all right, let's just move past that and get into our stuff. And so we start, start to do our stuff. Almost like I think we said a couple things. And then he comes back on stage for no reason. Which, which by the way, is another no no. Like you sin. don't, you just, when it's your time and you're off, you right. already pushed it this far. Don't go back on stage yeah. to get the thing. It just was so disrespectful. So he goes, you know, no, no, I got their opening line for you, which we had already done our opening line, yeah. which was sort of weird. I, they're going to be like, dice open for me, dice open for me. Well, I got news for you. And he's like, if I did any of my old shit, they wouldn't even be able to stand on this stage. Then he drops the mic. One of the mics and damages it. We're like, we need both of the mics. Now I have to like hold the cord to the mic in order for it to continue to work and not cut out. Is this thing on? Yeah, it literally is this thing on because it's not every two seconds. The worst part would be saying and then it. That's terrible. Jason Scott. So terrible. I mean, and and then he leaves, and we were just like, what? I was really upset, and I remember coming back and explaining to my wife like what had happened and why I was so upset. And as I'm explaining, also by the way. Like you shouldn't do that to anyone, mm-hmm. not not anyone. However, we had done like some television. Like we, yeah, this wasn't like we were. It wasn't Take like we were first timers or mic or something. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like we were just dropped in and like we're like someone he coming out of the crowd. We but he, he didn't, didn't know who we were. He didn't have to. But like there was just it was a tremendous professional lack of, courtesy that needs to be lack of respect. Here. So anyway, we I mean, and, and again, there were so many things you could if you just would have walked off after giving us the shitty intro. Who care? I mean, what it was, the coming back on stage was the thing that stuck with us. And so so Randy's telling it to his wife and and I'm explaining and I'm really mad. I'm like really mad about what had happened to us. And she is laughing. I'm like, no, 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 this isn't <laughs> funny. And she's laughing. And I and then I told it to another friend like what happened. And same points they're laughing and i and they're like that's really funny man i'm sorry that happened to you but that's really funny my friend eric i was like okay we started talking about it and we were like well maybe we can tell this story we're not really those types of comedians which like to bring down another person in this thing and we're kind of going down to his level in this thing and does it matter then we're like this really happened yeah how do we then take this and turn this into a story that really happened and was legitimately happened to us and the more we started telling it, the more we started doing it, the bigger it got, the more it started to become about lots of different things. And it ultimately became this story that we had to make the difficult decision of, 
I remember Paul Provenza, man. Paul, because it was the story and then it was a bit. The, the, the bit that came out of it, we let the story tee up the final bit, which was – if, you know, he's kind of talking about how he didn't do any of his old stuff. But meanwhile, on stage, we like peeked in at like 45 minutes into his 15 minute set. And he was like, call waiting. What the fuck is that shit about? I mean, this happened in like the 2000s. OK, <laughs> call waiting. Call wait- who's first of all, who's mad at call waiting? It's like the greatest thing <laughs> who, in the world. Who brings that up? And so like that, we are kind of like, well, if that's where he is right now in terms of rotary phone in my right. house. Hey. Me off. Oh. oh, so you're like, if that's where his writing is at this point, <laughs> right. where where's can, it going? Where's it going? Right. And that really was the bit. It's like, where does it go? Like, does he do the nursery rhyme? We would hope that he would do the nursery rhymes, and instead of doing punchlines, the things that made him famous, he just like revealed sad truths about his life. <laughs> and so we would, I, I mean, I can't. <laughs> Dickery duck. I used to bang every chick on the block. But now I'm alone. No one calls me on the phone, and I wear weightlifting gloves around the clock. Oh! <laughs> so, like, they're really oh, deep. Oh. Like, so it really became like an alternative kind of bit. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's. Is I it, took a job. On a cruise ship, I needed the money. Oh, <laughs> terrible! Like, so it's super fun. Like, and it was a really fun bit for us to do. Because, there are moments when you just are like, because we would spend like, t- like before each one, we would like take the cigarette, <laughs> the cigarette around and like around, around our head, like smoking it off my knee. You know what I mean? And Provenza, who did the setlist show, Paul Provenza, great comedian, aristocrat, did the aristocrat, Arista- uh, aristocrat, yeah, I almost said the aristocrats. Yeah, he did. Great if you did that too. The aristocrats, which was a great documentary about that joke and, ama- and an amazing mm-hmm. comedian and television show host and just a, 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 didn't he do Picasso at Le Pan and Gilles yeah he did he wrote he, this he wrote I don't know if he wrote it I think Steve Martin wrote it but he was in it he was in it oh god he was in it, it. Was I saw him on, on, at the Beacon Theater in New York play on Broadway I mean anyway. it was incredible yeah he so he one time saw us at Comics in New York, which is a great club on 14th and 9th. No longer exists, but he came to our set and we closed with that whole thing. And he came backstage afterwards. And his love of what we did in that that was just a great. It was super validation because he's someone that we really love too, mm-hmm. and that made us feel like okay, we can do this. And so we wound up doing it. So on we go our, to do our half hour special at Comedy for Comedy Central, our second one, and. We were like, you know, do we do this on TV or do we not? Like, do we want to really forever be tied to this bit? Like, you know what I mean? What if, like, you know, I think about, we, we think about, like, Neil Young and, like. <laughs> he did bury that. They, they buried that. that hatchet. But, like, Neil Young and uh, Leonard Skinner, you know, like, they, in the songs, sure. called each other. In Sweet Home right, Alabama, right. they, like, call him out, you know. And, Southern like, man, Southern don't Man, him around, don't need yeah. him around anyhow. And, like, and he did, you know, I mean, it's. Southern Man. Southern Man. Alabama I mean, and all right, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So we were like, ah, do we want want to do this do we not want to do this and we're like you know what let's let's just do it this is real we're not making anything up it's a bit that we like we'll see how the crowd responds if they like it then we'll put it in the special if they don't then we won't so we did extra we do always do extra and we did it on stage and it was really fun and, it, and we were like you know what let's close with that let's put that mm-hmm. at the end of our special so we put it in our special and we got a lot of like Certainly from a lot of other comedians who had been disrespected by him or had been this in a, something that he does quite often. I think he's done it before, but I think not just him, just in general, people who felt like even people who were like, I don't like bullying. And I love that that story had its own there. There was a there was an element of bullying that was taking place in there that that I really like that you guys stood up for yourselves a little bit and mm. turned it into comedy. Well, that's the thing. You took the negative and turned it to the proverbial positive. Turned it into comedy. And you know? so, and so, but that bit was born out of the, our time at the comedy store, that experience it was the first bit we've ever written out of like a place of anger, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, 
but then we turned it into comedy and it was just great really yeah. fun i mean that's that's what we can you do you guys got some great stuff too like uh, just the, the observational stuff and the you know the uh was it the Brothers Grimm? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that again like that. about, you know, but it's so funny because we just were trying to figure this thing out in terms of, you know, we were constantly trying to figure out how, what is our stand up and how mm-hmm. do we, how do we not classify it, but how do we write more towards it? What's in, we're really trying to figure out what's the easiest way for us to generate a lot of material. Because when a comedian finds his voice, when you think about comedians like Gaffigan, who's really in his pocket yeah, right yeah, now, sure, or right. Bill Burr, or Marin or uh, CK, like all those guys, you know, and there Sarah, are, Sarah Silverman, Amy Schumer, like those are Amy people Schumer, who are in their example. pocket right now. Like you, when you figure out your voice and you hit it, yeah, when you figure that voice out, you you can just like it becomes right. like yeah, it's, it's like an oil well. It's like the scene in uh, in uh, there will be there will be blood. <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. The second it digs in, and, psh, and then a geyser comes out. It's like. See, that's, that's knowing what your your gimmick is, knowing what you're knowing your voice, knowing your voice. Yeah, you're getting that confidence, point of view, and all right, that stuff. Right, right. And then it's you can write about anything. Then mm-hmm. it's your take on you know Amy Schumer's take on Louis C.K.'s take on nine eleven is one of the craziest, edgiest takes sure. ever. But it fits with who he was. And well, yeah, who he you is. mentioned Seinfeld earlier. That was exactly observational. Seinfeld comedy, you know? was like, I will pick apart anything. Larry David, even you know, right. if you think about like he's like, I'm going to make this. I watched Larry David's like speech for the Mark Twain award with uh with steve martin it was so funny funny. and so larry david like he got huge laughs on little things right and and it was like i'm like that's that's when you're that's when you've you've done it Mm -hmm. you've you've hit your pocket and you're going so we're forever trying you know we're trying to figure that out because with two people it's different it's not one voice it is two voices and it's a unique two voices it's unlike two voices that you've seen before where there's a straight man and a funny man where there's a crazy one and a mm-hmm. one who's trying to rein him in there's it's different so we're playing with a different thing so we're forever trying to figure that out but the 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 fairy tale thing was an example of us having little kids and reading them the stories and wanting to teach our kids and really born out of the truth of wanting to teach our kids to question things that question don't make things sense. that don't make sense we're constantly telling them that we want to raise kids who question things who are Mm-hmm. Not jerks, but who don't accept the view. That's the thing. You want kids and people growing up in this world to be awake to what is sure, happening sure. so that bad stuff. And you're learning from, from this young age because we were talking about, was it uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Mm-hmm. And the giant says, Fee fi fo fum, I smell the blood of an English man, which was clearly an attempt to make a rhyme. <laughs> but we were like, wait, there's no. You- fee fi fo fum is made up. Those That's, are made up that words. That doesn't exist. You could have done. Fee fi fo fan. <laughs> I, I smell, smell the blood of an English, English man. Even <laughs> fum, if you say Englishman, <laughs> right. it's still an end. Like, you, to yeah. me, seemed lazy and like it bothered me to no end. And I'm like, don't just keep saying that. Say, why is this the way that it is? Who, who, who dropped the ball on this? And why we still continue <laughs> yeah, to say it? Right. And it was more even like when you have girls. That's another thing is like there's in every single story – Something – the stories themselves are fascinating and interesting and they're great and then like you literally get to the very end. It's they like, meet and a dude they, and then they, they, live, dude, and then they, they marry live, and then live happily ever after. Yeah. I'm like, no. Marriage is tough. You see mommy and I fighting from Nobody time Nobody lives happily Nobody ever Nobody lives happily ever You after. learn to live with a person. You learn to 
kind of exist sure, and coexist sure. in a way. And at times you just are like, don't bother me. It's <laughs> the greatest thing you can say if you're in a marriage and you're both 75. But the, the, the point is that like there's that needs to be brought up and that needs to be explained. And you can't just assume that that's the way it goes. And I don't want that sort of idea to be in our kids' heads. Not that I want them to be morose, but we want them to figure that stuff out. So what it allowed us to do. I love do, it, though. It's like fum is made up. It didn't yeah, have to be. Fum is made up. Fifo fan. Yeah. An English man. man. Right. Uh, that works. What was the name of the, of the of the show that just would put words up behind you? Set list. Okay, let's do one set list thing. Uh, Canadians. Canadians. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I. The thing about Canada, if I think about Canada, I think it's basically like the United States. In the late seventies, minus black people, tons of rush, <laughs> tons of rush, tons. like tons of hockey, like that. Hockey. hockey was like a big deal. <laughs> tons of rush, a lot of wide open spaces. Uh, I think you can carry guns, but people don't. Yeah, like there's. No, I don't know that they have cell phones up there. Lots of flannel. Everybody, people are talking on pay phones. Yeah. That's Canada for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Canada's like we're gonna do it. Oh. <laughs> and just a guy the fact that a guy like Don Cherry, for me, Don Cherry is such a representative of Canada. It's like a funny jacket. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, that's his personality. Funny it, yeah. jacket and everybody apologizing for it afterwards. <laughs> that literally could be on the Canadian. Like, screw the maple leaf. Yeah. Just put a Don crazy Cherry's a Don jack- Cherry jacket, jacket. And, every, and the PM just like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, oh, so, so, oh, sorry. so sorry. So sorry. The dialogue bubble. Yeah. Sorry. 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 We're sorry we about we this. We don't know what that was about. Symbol. We don't know what that was about. We're so, so sorry. The Sklar brothers, man. Guys are great. Thank you. All right, thanks to Randy and Jason, the Sklar brothers, big wrestling fans, funny guys. I love the Andrew Dice Clay story. They also got a great podcast called Sklar Bro Country on Earwolf. Uh, they talk sports and pop culture, similar to what we talk about here. You should subscribe to that podcast on iTunes as well as pod, uh, subscribing to mine. Go to, to, to subscribe. To, this is like a tongue twister. Subscribe to Talk is Jericho. Subscribe to Sklar Bro Country. Say that three times fast. Subscribe to Sklar Bro Country. Subscribe to Sklar Bro Country. Subscribe to Sklar Bro Country. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, I can't think a better New Year's resolution than subscribing to your favorite podcast and also to go shopping on Amazon. Longest running sponsor of Talk is Jericho. Easiest way to support the show. Use the TIJ links. You can find them by going to podcastone.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got them links for the USA, the UK, the Canada. Every time you use them links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage of the sh- uh, to the show to help us cover the production costs. So uh, go buy whatever you want. I dare you. And you will get the best deals and you'll kick back a couple bucks to this show, which helps me. Go to podcastone.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right-hand corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button and go uh, shop away. Become a shopaholic, you Jerichoholics. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. Lemmy, we love you. uh, And we'll never forget you. And we thank you for for being everything that you were. Thank you for the Sklar Brothers for being here today. And on uh, Friday, my new favorite wrestler, Cheeseburger, is going to be here. Cheeseburger, 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 Cheeseburger. Stick around. Cheeseburger is going to be here on Friday. 2016 is on its way. This is going to be our year. Thank you, guys. I love you. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.